Rosa is a longtime stand-up comedian, writer, and sandwich artiste who is bringing that stand-up talent here to Austin this weekend, headlining at Joe Rogan's Comedy Mothership, January 19th and 20th. I tell you to go to ComedyMothership.com to snag tickets, but those shows are sold out. You should still check Joe's workouts, podcast, and more at his website, JoeDeRosa.com. Joe, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm good, my friend. How are you? Doing great. Excited to have you back in town this weekend. I would ask if you have performed at the Comedy Mothership before, but I know you have because I actually saw you do, I want to say, five or ten minutes before Andrew Santino was headlining a weekend show several months back. What were your initial impressions of uh, Joe's spot, considering how much love it's received over the last year? I'd been there a few times, uh, maybe once or twice prior to that, just hanging out. And uh, I think I'd maybe done a spot in the, uh, in, the uh, in the second room. It's very wired into the comedian experience. You know, I can't I can't speak to it as an audience goer. They seem to love it, and the audience seems to have an amazing time. But as far as a, a performer is concerned, it's really wired into how the place operates and functions. It's very organically functioning in the mode that you want a place to function as a comic, as far as just the energy and the experience and and the people and all that stuff. So I, I, I like it. It's a good spot. I've done Kill Tony there once or twice. And this is my first time, though, really, really performing there. You know, like I said, I did a couple 10 minute spots here or there, but this is the first time I'm going to really get to like kind of sink into it, which is exciting. So, you know, I always like having more time than less because it, it kind of lets you, you know, kind of lay into your, your, your surroundings and, and get comfortable, you know, and, and figure out what the real rhythm and energy of the room is and all that stuff versus a short set you don't really have the time to do that. You kind of got to get out and just, you know, just, just kind of hit stuff as quickly as you can while still allowing for, for it to be organic and, and, you know, you want to still connect and everything, but a long set is really where you get to kind of, you know, uh, lay back for a second and, uh, and take it all in and, and, uh, and that that uh, allows for different energies and all that stuff. So so I'm looking forward to it. So you're a man of many talents. I'm uh, jealous in, of your life as a stand-up comedian. You're also a writer. But I'm maybe most jealous of the fact that you are a uh, sandwich artiste is uh, represented by the fact that you own a great sandwich place in New York, Joey <laughs> Rose's. Not to go to Joey from Friends on you, Joe, but my favorite food is sandwiches in large part because – it's just the perfect vehicle to deliver ingredients to your mouth and then into your stomach too. What do you love about sandwiches? Did Joey on Friends say that? Yeah, his favorite food was sandwiches. I I always resented that because oh. uh, that, that I was saying that since I was preteen, and then unfortunately he popularized. <laughs> so. No, no. I love sandwiches too. Uh, obviously, I think they're a perfect food because sandwiches can can be the centerpiece of any meal. It's the only food I can think 
I mean, look, obviously you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want. You can eat salad for breakfast if you like and, and, uh, and waffles for dinner. But, you know, traditionally sandwiches, in my opinion, are the only food that, that infiltrate every single meal. There's breakfast sandwiches. There's obviously lunch sandwiches. And then dinner sandwiches are a thing, too. Like, it's, it's not uncommon to go to a pub or a sandwich shop or, or wherever and get, you know, a sandwich for dinner. I just think they're a perfect food for, for a lot of the reasons you already stated. But, you know, you take a form of bread or, or not even uh, – it doesn't even have to be bread anymore. It could be a wrap or – I guess that's a little bit different or, or even, you know, people that don't eat carbs do it with lettuce, but you can just take two pieces of something traditionally and most commonly bread and fill it with whatever ingredients you want. There's salad sandwiches. So it's like, I think it's, you know, it's kind of gone, you know, there's pasta sandwiches now. Like it's like, it's gone, it's gone to all, corners of the spectrum and i i just i always loved sandwiches as a kid i just i don't know like it started for me with hoagies in the philly uh area in the suburbs of philadelphia and i still have a great love for for hoagies which is why we started the shop we tried to create a sandwich that that had a little bit of the philadelphia energy and vibe in it that also kind of met the New York style a little bit. We wanted, we wanted something that sat sort of in between the two and was its own thing. And, uh, and we felt that there was a sort of a, a weird dearth of it in New York. Mm. It was confusing to us why you couldn't find these types of sandwiches outside of going into like bodegas and ordering, you know, the, which are good. I'm not knocking those, but, you know, like, like a shop that was really devoted to just that, like, it was very confusing to us why it was so hard to come by in New York. And then, you know, the sandwich sh shops that are there seem to focus a little more on the non, you know, like Katz's and stuff. Those are Jewish delis and those are, you know, like Second Avenue Deli and Sarge's are great, but they focus on a very different style of sandwich, obviously. So we wanted to focus on this, uh, more of the sort of traditionally, I guess, Italian-American style. And that's that's where it all came from. And that's, that's you know, what I love about it. Not to hammer the, the Jewish deli too hard, but I feel like there's an uneven distribution of ingredients. And one of the things that makes a sandwich great is the proper ratio of, of various things. And there are plenty of elements that go into a really good sandwich. Obviously, dis, uh, distribution of ingredients is important, quality of ingredients. But I feel like if you're starting with a bad piece of bread or bad two pieces of bread, the sandwich fails almost immediately. Yeah, no, my partner Paul said very early on, we sampled a lot of different types of bread. And I, I was like, look, you know, this is kind of what we're going for here. And he said very quickly, the bread is the star of the show. If we don't, if we don't nail the bread, it's not going to work. And he was right. And I felt strongly about that too. 
but I would I would go as far as to say he felt even more strongly. We both we both agreed that the bread was important, but he really was was a stickler on when when we were working the recipe, which took a few months to figure out. And this guy Fausto that works at Paul's Club, the Stand, was the one that mastered it for us. We just kept saying this, but less of this. And, what you did more, but in what you did there, but more in this direction. And like wildly, it's funny, like working in entertainment and stuff. It was, it was a lot like when you, when you, when I've written for TV, it was like giving like script notes. Mm. And he would take the note, go back and adjust the piece. And then, and then it would come back and it would be a little bit closer. And then eventually you, you just nail it. You know, so the bread's really important to us. You know, having the bread, the fresh baked bread from that morning being used for the sandwiches that day. That's really the cornerstone of why it works. And then the, the distribution of ingredients, like you said, is very important to us. You know, uh, Dave, who's our, who runs our kitchen, is, you know, He's always like, look, man, you can eat our sandwiches with one hand. That's kind of the idea. It's not some big, I like a big sandwich, you know, like, but like big sandwiches tend to get sloppy. They tend to be too much. You know, you, 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 don't, you don't finish it. If you do finish it, you don't feel good after. <laughs> if you don't finish it, you don't always eat the other half. Or you, or, or, you're at the place and then you're going around all day and you're like, God, man, I got to carry this around and like, it's going to get like warm or it's going to get cold and it's just not going to be the same later. And, uh, you know, also too, a, a really big sandwich costs a lot of money. Like you have to charge a lot, at least in, in New York, you know, we try to keep, we try our best to keep our prices pretty, pretty competitive for New York. If we weren't even, if we weren't in New York, our prices would be even better. But unfortunately, New York is, is New York. Uh, (laughs) But what we didn't want to do was start having $25 sandwiches, you know, so, which a lot of places do. So all these elements are really important. Like, you know, there's a science to how our sandwiches are made and, it's been there from the beginning and it's again, it's the kind of the cornerstone of how it all works. Yeah. You have uh, two different price options on the menu, the hard eight, which used to be sandwiches that were eight bucks. Unfortunately, inflation happens. Those are now 10. And then you have the special sandwiches, which are 14. Not going to lie. If I were to go to Joey Rosa's, the first sandwich I would have to try is the Colombo signature porchetta, provolone cheese, homemade pickled jalapenos and carrots with olive oil and oregano I am a sucker for a good porchetta, Joe. I would make it more at home, but it completely ruins the oven. I don't even have a good oven to make a, a porchetta. It doesn't hold humidity properly. But what makes y'all's porchetta so good? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just have a recipe that we like and we think it works. That's all I could say to it. I haven't been cooking porchetta my whole life, so and I don't cook it now. So I can't take responsibility for for the way we make it and whatever. But, uh, but I know that we have a good recipe 
And I know it's a recipe that, that really resonated with all of us. So we went with it and people seem to like it. All right. So one of the two podcasts that you do uh, is called Taste Buds with your buddy, Sal, who has been on this show before. You also do We'll See You in Hell uh, with yourself and Patrick Walsh. As far as Taste Buds are concerned, although it's rooted in food, it's basically you guys debating uh, what is better between one thing or another? For instance, oceans or lakes, if, if you're going non-food. But I've got a good one for you, I think, for the Austin food scene. I'm assuming you as a lover of food has uh, explored Austin a little bit food-wise. So uh, what is your pick between Texas barbecue or breakfast tacos? I love Texas barbecue. I'm not a big brisket fan anywhere. Mm. Uh, for me, the pork barbecue meats and the beef ribs when it comes to beef they're the bangers for me i've, I've never been a big uh, brisket fan i know it's kind of sacrilege to say here but i don't know i just when, when i'm putting brisket next to pork ribs or beef ribs i mean forget it like pork and beef ribs all day long every day and i know it's different cuts obviously but that's why i like one better than the other that's why i like People say pulled pork. I'm like, against pork ribs? I'm just going to I'm gonna take the ribs, man. You know, like, so that's me. I love rib meat. It really excites me. Uh, it's flavorful. It's a banger. I really love the way Texas barbecue does turkey, too, though. Mm. Texas, Texas has a way of making turkey pop in a way that, you know, I've never experienced anywhere else. And I'm not a turkey hater. I like turkey a lot. But Texas takes it to a special place where I'm like, man, it's just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll think about that at length. Uh, but, but the breakfast tacos are no. The breakfast tacos are amazing. I love tacos. I'm not a big breakfast taco guy, except for when I'm in Texas. I usually go eggs, uh, beans and, and jalapenos. And maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit of cheese, but usually not. But, um, and then salsa too, or, or pico or whatever. But again, for whatever reason, they're just done perfectly here versus in other parts of the country. You know, it's the same reason why I think pizza can be good in a lot of places, but it's really perfected in specific areas. And I feel like Texas really nails that with with both barbecue and the breakfast tacos you know when i worked for the senate when i lived here in 2000 i worked for the senate i we i go down to the commissary commissary almost every morning and start the day with breakfast tacos i mean i was 21 so i was able to do that I, i'd fucking die if i did that now uh <laughs> uh um, but, or at least go to sleep. I wouldn't be able to work all day. Um, but, uh, but I love both, man. I love both. I'm not being diplomatic. What did you do for the Senate back in 2000? Uh, I was a radio reporter. Oh, okay. For the Texas Senate. So I, I had to cover the legislative session. I think it was the 70, 76 or the 77. I can't remember. But yeah, that was my first paid work in entertainment 
was uh, was writing and recording the radio report every day of what happened in the Senate that day. And you're saying the Texas Senate? Yeah, for the media department. In the Senate. Was that when Rick Perry was the governor? Rick Perry was the governor. Uh, Bush had just left to become president. Yeah. Uh, Perry took over. So Perry was active when I started. Yeah, I, I, I made friendly with a lot of senators. and Some of the people I worked with in the media department are, are still my, some of my dearest friends to this day. I see them every time I come down to Texas, uh, to mm. Austin. Uh, some, some real lifelong memories uh, during that period. That was a wild time. Texas Ledge obviously has a pretty wild reputation itself. What was the craziest thing that you saw or had to cover during your time here? Nothing crazy as far as like what transpired in the Senate. You know, there were some heated issues and stuff, but I, I didn't witness anything crazy. But I will say it was a it was a, a monumental year in my life as far as growth and cultural experience is concerned because I was a kid from the East coast who had never lived anywhere or, or really ever visited anywhere outside of the East coast. I, I, I visited Austin once before moving here, but I was very unfamiliar with the world and other cultures and how other cultures function. And my introduction into that was, was moving to Austin taking a job where where I had to wear a suit every day and was suddenly thrown headfirst into the world of politics, which I didn't really know anything about. I had to learn. It was, it was fun, but at times it was, it was extraordinarily high pressure because I had to learn so much as I was going and learn so much on the fly. And then I was making these friends in the media department who were unlike anybody I'd ever known because again, I only knew East coast people. So I was meeting and making new friends that, that were culturally from these, from a very different world who were expressing things to me that I had never had people express to me that were challenging me and my own opinions in ways I'd never been challenged. Uh, and all of it with this backdrop of the legislative session behind us with all kinds of heated issues like racial profiling and other things that were happening at the time. And then I moved, I, 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 the last month I was here, 9-11 happened. So, oh, wow. so that was, it was wild. It was wild. There was a lot of talk in the Senate about Bush W and how he had left and him being president now. And there were a lot of, you know, different opinions about that. Some, some positive, some negative, depending on which side of the coin the person was on. There was a lot of talk about Rick Perry. Rick Perry was sort of a controversial guy. The Lieutenant governor, blanket on his name, he was a sort of controversial 
figure in his own right. You know, it was, you know, and then there was the public discourse throughout the entire country at that time. Of, did Bush deserve the election? Did he steal it? There was just so much going on sociopolitically at that time. And to start my year being thrust with this culture shock of new, new state, new city, new life, new friends, new environment, new job, put on a suit every day, do all the stuff you've never done. And have that year basically culminate the cal not the calendar year, but just the you know the, the duration of the months culminate with 9/11 happening in and living in Texas, working at the time I, I I was not at the Senate at that point. I had just left and I was working for the Austin Music Network, but our editing facility was at the old airport that Bush used to fly into. I went to. I had to go to work on 9-11 and there was massive amounts of security around the entire airport, you know, making sh really vetting like who was coming in, who was going out because that was the airport the president used to land in Texas. You know, having some of my first Arab American friends, I'm, I'm Arab, but I never really knew any Arabs because I was adopted, you know, here in Texas, seeing how the, 9-11 fallout was affecting them. It was wild. It was a pretty wild time. And then I moved home and started doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> so that was that year of my life. It was a hell of a year. So you didn't do stand-up until after you moved away from Austin. You weren't popping in to open mics at uh, Cap City or anything like that. No, no, no. Apparently, the Texas lieutenant governor at that time was the very forgettable Bill Ratliff, whatever it's worth. Well, I don't think he was forgettable. I found him a, to be an incredibly interesting man. Okay. Uh, I feel actually felt bad that I couldn't remember his name. I found him to be incredibly interesting. I, I, I couldn't tell you right now with a gun to my head what his politics were. Mm. But I admired that he had his beliefs and he voiced them and he didn't apologize for it. I, I watched him one day get challenged by reporters if he was going to offer an apology for something he said. And he goes, no, I said it. If I said it. I'm not going to apologize for it. And that was end of discussion because there actually was a time where you could say to somebody, I'm sorry, I don't feel that I need to apologize for that. And it was like, okay, well then let's move on. We'll agree to disagree. Not like now where you're like, Oh, can you believe that he didn't apologize? You know, and that's not me saying nobody should ever apologize for anything. That's just me saying that the conversation around the apology is just nauseating after a while. So, um, you know, that's the part that it's just exa it's exhausting. It's exhausting. So anyway, I thank you for having me, man. I apologize. I got to run. But uh, I'm glad we got some time to talk here. No sweat. Everybody can check Joe out. You can't check him out at the Mothership. Those shows are sold out. They always do sell out. But check out JoeDeRosa.com for the podcast and everything else. Uh, Joe, would love to catch up again at some point. I know you're a writer. We'd love to uh, talk about your books for the Books on Pod podcast a little bit more. But thank you so much for the time, man. Yeah, anytime, buddy. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. Thanks to you for hanging out. For more of the show and to connect on social media, visit BooksOnPod.com. Talk to you next time. Books on Pod. <laughs>